the, the vast majority of bulk of the um, the literature of Buddhism and the kind of history of Buddhism is a series really of dialogues. Right? So it starts right back in the the original canon, which was written down actually substantially later than the life of uh, the Buddha or the, the beginning of Buddhism. But um, nonetheless, when you when you read it, it's almost almost all of it is um, these these dialogues where somebody um, a a king, a mass murderer, a senior student, a layperson um, comes to the Buddha and um, asks him a question or a series of questions, and the Buddha gives a gives an answer. Right? Um, and there are almost all these dialogues. The 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 kind of for lack of a better term, the kind of literary conceit in all the dialogues is that they're that they're remembered um, by um, Ananda, the Buddha's assistant, right? And so he, they all say, "Well, I remember this, this guy, right?" So the the there's a the Pali Canon is divided up into a bunch of volumes that that are organized essentially by the length of the talk, right? And in the long discourses, the Dhammakaya, the second um, sutra, sutta, is um, is generally considered this sort of classic, right? And, it's, and not surprisingly, right? So the 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 plot is that there's there's this king, and he's sitting in his palace, and he's kind of grumpy. And he talks to his retainers and says, hey, um, this thing is cutting in and out, isn't it? Uh, well, um, when it cuts out, can you still hear me? Excellent. <laughs> Okay, well just, if it cuts out completely, I'll just take it off, but for, for now, we'll, we'll put up with it. So, um, he's sitting around feeling grumpy, and, uh, um, and he says, hey, is there anybody I can go talk to, like some kind of, you know, holy man or important person? And his retainers all go like, oh, well, there's this guy, and he doesn't say anything. And then somebody says, well, there's this other guy, and finally somebody says, Oh, you know, the Buddha is not all that far away. He's staying in this grove with, you know, a few thousand followers, right? Um, why don't you go see him? And the, and the king, whose name is uh, Ajatasattu, um, says, yes, I'll do that. So he, he goes to the stables and he gets out 501 elephants. And he gets on one, which... The translator of the version that I use 
invariably refers to as his tusker. So he gets on his tusker, and um, and each of his 500 wives gets on another elephant. And they all ride off together um, across the plain, and they they come to this grove, and the Buddha and his followers are sitting quietly together, and uh, um, after a little bit of moving around, he gets, he gets in front of the Buddha, and he says, he asks this long, complicated question, and, the, and the, the crux of the question is, um, he, he pulls up a, a huge list of professions, like florists, and um, military commandos, and accountants, and elephant trainers, and um, etc. This wide variety of professions, right? And he says, all these things are pretty useful, right? They they have, um, they, you know, the 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 person that's employed in them, you know, makes useful objects or performs useful services, and is in result, as a result, is rewarded and therefore supports their family, and everybody's really happy, and you know, etc. Right? And he says, what did he what? Is the use of the contemplative life in all this, right? The and I and I don't I haven't actually looked at the original text, but um, the name of the suttas says it's something like the you know the virtue of the contemplative life, and the word for um, for you know. Contemplative in at least in Sanskrit, I think is shamana, right? And the idea is that that there's society contains a bunch of people who at some point um, drop everything and live um, on the you know by essentially begging, and they spend their life um, striving for spiritual perfection right? and. And contemplation, and and the king says, "So what's the point of that?" And and I guess the whole story is the Buddha says, "Well, have you asked anybody else this question?" And and the king goes through all the all the people that his retainer suggested he go see previously and said, "Yeah, I've asked all of them, and they gave terrible answers." So. so then, so then the, the Buddha gives this long, long answer to the question, which includes some additional questioning of, of the king Ajata Sati. But um, in any case, what he says is the point of the contemplative life. He says he starts by saying that everyone recognizes that the being a contemplative, that that you know, sort of dropping out of society and and, and striving for spiritual perfection is a worthy pursuit, right, King? And the King says, yeah, absolutely. He, he says, if one of, your, one of your servants were to go off and become a contemplative, would you send somebody to drag him back? And the King said, no, I'd be happy for him, right? So, so he says, okay, so that's the first obvious benefit, right? So it's a, it's a legit profession, right? And, and, uh, and the King says, yeah, okay, that's fine, but anything else? And, and the Buddha says, okay, so first of all, 
the the contemplative conforms to the precepts, right? So they, they behave in a particular manner where they, um, you know, the, when you get ordained here, you swear to abide by essentially 13 precepts. In the, back in the day, the list of precepts were a lot longer, but, um, but in any case, your, your behavior as a contemplative was pretty constrained, and mainly you were allowed to own only what you could wear, only eat um, things that were given to you, and um, not really work, right? Um, and in particular, not work for money, right? And so he says the you know the contemplative um, conforms to the precepts, and ideally. Um, doesn't engage in questionable activities like I think he mentions divining, um, the palmistry, uh, making oracular predictions about the affairs of state, and a bunch of other things like that. And and, and so the king goes, yeah, okay, that seems all good, right? Um, and then he kind of switches and switches modes, and, and he's like, okay, and. Living in this way gives, provides a kind of pleasure or appreciation of, of, the, of being blameless and, you know, living well and morally, right? Um, and at that point, the explanation switches into the experiential. So up to now, it's sort of been practical. But, it switches into the experiential, and he says, okay, so the, a, a contemplative um, can, l learns how to control, through practice, learns how to control their, uh, their, their sort of sensual grasping and aversion, right? So in other words, you don't hunger after uh, pleasure, and you don't flinch or 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 avert from difficulty, from physical difficulty, right? So, for example, if if a if a contemplative is walking by a donut shop and they see somebody eating a donut, they're like they're not like oh my god, I really want a donut, right? They're just like they because they can choose not to do that, right? Um, they they um, they're not driven by um, by their sensuality, right? and and there's a number of other hindrances, a kind of worry and doubt, sloth and torpor, um, agitation, and so on that they can similarly control through practice, right? Through uh, through meditative practice and also through practice while they're walking around in the world, right? Um, and, and, and the Buddha says, and when you realize that you're free from these hindrances, the, um, the, the, you feel content and happy, right? Um, and and the, the king goes, yeah, okay, that's good, right? And then he, he goes on and he says, and furthermore, from that foundation, you can through practice, bring your mind into these 
kind of well-defined mental states, which in, in the, in the polycanon are called jhanas. They're states of concentration. And they're usually labeled with sort of emotional tags, you know, contentment, delight, and so on and so forth. And you sort of progress up through them to the point where you're, you're kind of living in a, you know, sitting in a state of, of selfless, um, kind of bliss, right? Um, and, and this, the explanation goes on like this. There's some more bits, but finally at the end he says, and as the culmination of this practice, you become free from, um, from the round of karma and causation and you're, you're released from suffering forever. Um, and the king goes, ah, that's great. Thank you. That was really, really helpful. Um, I want to become a lay Buddhist. So they go, they do, he, he um, takes the refuges and become, becomes a lay Buddhist. And then he goes, oh, and I have a confession to make too. Um, in order to become the king, I had to kill my dad. And it's, and it's really wrecking my life. I'm really super bothered by it. And then the Buddha goes, Okay, well, confessing is a good thing, and hopefully it'll, you know, it'll be the first step on the path of improvement. And, and the king goes, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> and and uh, really busy at the palace, and so he jumps on his elephant, and his wives get on their elephants, and they go back to the palace. And the Buddha sits there for a while, and then he says, you know, if he hadn't killed his dad, he would have been awakened completely just now with that explanation, and um, and he wouldn't suffer anymore. Right? So that's that's kind of the end of the story. Right? Um, so I mean, there's a couple of things to notice about this, right? So it you know it's focused on a combination of of conduct and experience, right? That's one part. And the way the, the Buddha lays it out is, a, is as a sort of graduated argument that, that has, you know, he, that leads the listener through a set of propositions and so on, um, such that all, everyone who listens, you know, should be encouraged to practice and, um, and maybe even in, in that moment, at the moment of hearing it, understand how things work so clearly that they're free from suffering. That's the, that's the sort of brief of the polycanon. Right? It's, it's, it's an explanation that's so well-crafted and so thorough and um, comprehensive that that if you really take it in, you can't help but understand, right? Um, but after a few hundred years, if you look at the um, if you look at the Buddhist scriptures, they're framed in exactly the same way. There's there's still um, sutras there. Um, they're, they're uh, you know, conversation between the 
Buddha and somebody, again, um, you know, lay people, kings, um, uh, princes, his family, etc. Right? Um, I'm not sure. If, maybe some more mass murderers, right? But um, but they're very different. So in the Diamond Sutra, um, the you know it has the same setup. Everyone's all sitting around, and and the and a senior student, Subhuti, gets up and says. He, the, he says, he essentially asks, you know, how do you practice and what's the point of it, right? But, but the, the way he phrases it is he says something like, um, how can a, um, a person with good family um, who wishes to attain the ultimate awakened mind, essentially, um, what, what should they rely on and how can they control their mind? And the Buddha says, good question. Um, I'll tell you. And, and, and at this point, the, um, the discussion is about the role, the role, life, and practice of the Bodhisattva, who's this, this person who, who's a, the, the sort of Mahayana ideal, right? And who has agreed to put off being released from suffering until all beings in the universe are released from suffering. Right? So the Buddha says, Bodhisattva should think this way. They should think, I have to release all beings from suffering. And that's the, you know, slime molds, mushrooms, um, uh, you know, uh, Worms, fleas, and ticks, um, you know, uh, birds, elephants, um, fish, and so on, all of them, every single one of them, um, throughout space and time, in other words, an infinite number of beings, I have to free all of them. And furthermore, when he, he should, and when, when all those beings are free, He won't think he's free, he's free anyone, the, the Bodhisattva. Um, because um, if, a, if a person has a notion of a self, a lifespan, a, a, you know, a being, a, a, or something like that, then they're not really a Bodhisattva. Right? So, so, there, so you, you have two things here. You have an impossible task, saving an infinite number of beings. And you have this, this logical contradiction that seems fundamentally insoluble. Right? You can't, you, if, if, you, if you even imagine a shred of agency, you've somehow failed being a bodhisattva. Right? Um, it's, and it's pretty daunting, right? And, and the, you can see the character of it is very different. It doesn't have this sort of, Straightforward explanatory quality. It's a it's a it's a trap basically. It's, it's meant to to sort of you know turn your mind inside out a little bit. And and the um, and the Diamond Sutra goes on like this, page after page after page with these impossible tasks and these, and these logical contradictions. Right. And at one point, 
the Buddha even says something like, if you think there's a dharma, a teaching, right, then you're, you already you also think that you have a self and a and a body and a lifespan and your being and so on and so forth. And so you've missed it, right? Um, so you shouldn't rely on the teachings. You shouldn't, you shouldn't attach yourself to the teachings. The teachings are, are just a raft and, and you have to abandon the raft. Um, so that's what it says in the Diamond Sutra. So, um, it's, a, it's a very different take on um, inquiry and response, right? Um, it, the, it's moved from, from explanation and delivery of knowledge to putting the listener in a kind of weird bind that um, In theory, again, helps them wake up. Right? Um, and if a little bit later, when Buddhism is solidly landed in, in China, um, uh, Dungshan says something like, you know, only people who are who see the teachings as their mortal enemy can really study the Dharma. <laughs> um, so that, that's, a, that's a sort of how extreme it got. And, and by the time, again, by the time Buddhism lands in China, and particularly with the advent of the Zen school, like, um, you still have these dialogues. So there's a, there's a number of you know, famous stories in the, in fact, almost all of the Zen literature is stories about dialogues. In the, in the, the first case in the Blue Cliff Record, um, uh, Bodhidharma goes to see the Emperor Wu, right? And the Emperor Wu asks, asks a very traditional question. He says, you know, essentially, what's the meaning of, of the, what's the highest meaning of the, of the teachings? And, or of the holy teachings? And, and Bodhidharma says, it's empty, nothing holy. And the emperor says, who are you? And he goes, don't know. And then he turns around and he walks out. That, that was the whole exchange. <laughs> and um, and the, the, in, the ver- in the Blue Cliff record, there's a, there's a little, there's a, you know, afterward, in which the emperor goes to his, his, you know, his sort of senior in-house teacher and says, what was that about? <laughs> and they have a discussion about it, and, and uh, the emperor's like, oh, you know, I should get him back for another meeting. And, 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 his, his, and uh, Master Jerk, the guy that, that's his senior in-house teacher, goes, please don't ask him back for another. Um, you know, it, you, you'll, you'll never get him to come back, basically. Um, and I guess I'll, there's one more story. So um, Lunya 
later on, this is, says, what was the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming, you know, from the West and, you know, going to visit, for example, the Emperor Wu, right? And, and he asked this question twice, one to a teacher named Tzu Yan, and, and Tzu Yan says, hand me that meditation brace over there. And, and uh, the meditation brace is a thing that they sit on, uh, maybe you've seen them, but basically when you're sitting, um, when you're a, often when you're a contemplative, in, in particularly in India, you see people sitting with this brace under their chin because essentially they have to sit all day long. And it, what it means is that you can, you can kind of rest your chin on it a bit, right? So there's, it's a stick that you plant down here and you put it under your chin. And so he hands him the meditation brace and, um, the, and the teacher hits him with it. <laughs> and, and he says, oh, okay, fine, hit me. But, I don't think there's any meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West. And so he asked the same question to uh, Linji, and Linji says, oh, can you pass me that Zafu? <laughs> and he passes it to Zafu, and, and uh, Linji hits him with the Zafu. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, oh, fine, hit me. But I still don't think there's any meaning, right? Um, so you kind of see where this has gone, right? It's, it's gone from explanation to kind of this strange, um, philosophically complex, you know, logically baffling discourse to mostly a, a teaching that emphasizes demonstration and um, and kind of indirect pointing to over emphasize them over concepts and words, right? Um, you know, when I mean, obviously, th the message underlying that con with the meditation grace and the and this author is Bodhidharma brought practice to China, and you should be sitting, not blabbering, <laughs> basically. Um, and, uh, and, and so on, right? And I, I guess, I just, I want to sort of clarify one thing about that, and that is that I don't think one of these is better than the other, right? Like, the, there, there's a lot of scholarly, you know, debate about what were the cultural factors and so on and so forth that underlay this change in Buddhist teaching when Buddhism moved through sort of Central Asia and into uh, China and East Asia and so on, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a great subject of scholarly debate, but I would say um, one is not better than the other. It's just a matter, it's a matter of emphasis, right? And, and you know, of course, you know, Buddhist teachers um, it, back in, in in the in the day when all of the teachings were explanations would you know read the thing and then they tell their follow their followers like, okay, <laughs> don't be trapped in the words, right? Um, 
because because words can be a trap, right? And you know, just practice sincerely and know that um, you know that the explanation is there to help, and when it's time to let it go, you can let it go, right? Um, the I think the the essential difference, which was probably just as true 2,500 years ago as it is now, it or the the, uh, the essential point is that sitting itself pushes the practitioner in the in the direction of. Quiet inquiry and and points up the the difficulty with words and concepts. Right? Um, if you if you read him, you know if you read say Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, right? He says um, people think that Zen practice is hard, but they don't really know why. Here's why: um, it's because it's difficult to practice and keep your practice pure in its, in its original form. That's what he says, right? And, and why is that? Well, he spends the entire rest of the book explaining it, but, uh, but the, the, what the explanation boils down to is that anything that we care about, we bring our humanity to and we we, we judge it, we rate it, we, we make up concepts about it, we, um, we romanticize it, we put it down, all the rest of that sort of stuff, right? That's what makes practice difficult. But, but also, that tendency to do that is the crux of practice, right? So to, to when, we, when we sit, what are we doing? We, we just did it, right? Um, when, when you're paying attention, we're saying, okay, what is going on here? Oh, look at that. My mind is doing this. My body is doing this. My, um, my emotional state is this, right? Um, I'm hearing a car. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about fish, right? Um, what, when we sit, we all go through these cycles of attention in which we're alternately tangled up in thinking and, and self-narration and kind of conceptual wrangling. And then that dissolves and we're present again. Sometimes we, we're, it dissolves because we're cute and sometimes it's, it dissolves for no reason at all. It's mysterious. Right? Um, and just to notice the way in which when we're present, that's, a, that's fundamentally an inquiry that doesn't really require an explanation. It, it, it just, the things just are what they are, right? So it's as though your whole body is saying, what is it? 
and your whole body is responding, it's just this, that's it. And that was true in the time of the Buddha, and it's true today. 